Let's start with the end of the world, why don't we? Get it over with and move on to more interesting things. First, a personal ending. There is a thing she will think over and over in the days to come, as she imagines how her son died and tries to make sense of something so innately senseless. She will cover Uche's broken little body with a blanket, except his face because he is afraid of the dark, and she will sit beside it numb, and she will pay no attention to the world that is ending outside. The world has already ended within her, and neither ending is for the first time. She's old hat at this by now. What she thinks then, and thereafter, is, but he was free. And it is her bitter, weary self that answers this almost question every time her bewildered, shocked self manages to produce it. He wasn't. Not really. But now he will be. Your shelf for my talking sophisticated topics all the time. Your shelf for my kick back, relax, crack a book on wine at your shelf for my. Your shelf or my. Hello. And welcome to your shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky Standle, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. And I'm Jacob Collins, Library Technician at the Longview Public Library. And today we are finally talking about, it took me a long time to read this book, you guys. We're talking about N.K. Jemison, but very specifically, we're talking about the fifth season. And maybe a couple of short stories from her short story collection, How Long Till Black Future Month. That's right. I didn't read any of those. I did. I did buy that book a number of years ago to read them, but then I just still haven't. Yeah, and I bought The City We Became at the Friends Book uh-huh. Sale a couple of years ago, and I've been meaning to read it, and I haven't got around to it. <laughs> I feel like that's my N.K. Jemison story. So this is the first time I've read anything by her. Um, I knew, you know, that she was around writing books that kept winning all these awards. And I got this copy of the fifth season several years ago, um, probably at a friend's book sale because I was going to read it. And I did. But it's the first thing I've read by her. And I don't really know that much about her as an author either. um, Other than some stuff I like looked up real quick last night. Uh, What about you? Yeah, my experience with her was that I found her in a collection of short stories, and I looked a bit more into her because I really liked her short story, and I don't remember which one it was, but that led me to learn that she had won the Hugo Award three times. which In a row! Yeah, three times in a row, and they were all for the the fifth season books, uh, the Broken, Broken Earth, Earth trilogy, yeah. And so that automatically made me interested in her, of like, wow, she must be amazing. Mm-hmm. And then she came out with The City We Became, and I read the synopsis of that, and I thought it sounded really intriguing, the whole concept. And so I picked up the book when I found it. I just, like I said, never got around to it. But my introduction was through her short stories Mm -hmm. and a collection. The fifth season won the Hugo Award in 2016, and then for like Hugo Award for like best novel. And then she won it again in 2017 for obelisk gate and then again in 2018 for the stone sky and she's the only 
author to ever have won it three consecutive years and the only author to have written like a series where every book in the series won that award. I think Monstrous, the graphic novel, Mm -hmm. has won it like three or four times now. Like it's won it a lot. And so I think it's won it more times at this point. Mm. But yeah, it's still pretty amazing that she was the first to do it and to write a solid trilogy where Uh like every book is an an award winner. I think that's a massive accomplishment in and of itself. I agree. And I think also she's the first African-American woman to win the Hugo Award. So this book just smashing all the records. This book slaps. (laughs) Oh, youth. In the introduction to How Long Till Black Future Month, she talks a bit about like the publishing industry regarding science fiction and how overwhelmingly like white it is, mm-hmm. like it's predominantly all written by straight white men and how it's a difficult area to navigate because of that. And a lot of people have a preconceived notion of how science fiction has to look. Like it has to be like this european or like american future it's always very white centric very um eurocentric and it's always like white people are still in control they've always been Mm -hmm. in control and it's very it's very samey and so it's hard to break in as like do someone new doing something that isn't that because people already have this idea of what it looks like yes i found my own like biases about that come through when I was reading this book and I like how often she describes how people look and like the skin their skin tone and stuff because I feel like that's like it just is a reminder to you as like a reader who's used to reading science fiction about white people that like that's not what this is Mm -hmm. um and uh I think beauty standards is a big one too where yeah people imagine this like I don't know, a future world where all of these different things are going on and everything is so different, but the beauty standard is exactly the same as, you know, it was in 1998 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this idea that, like, you aren't, you know, beautiful or handsome or whatever the way you are, that you have to go through, like, cosmetic surgery to, like, change yourself, Uh to have yourself fit in this, like, dystopian society. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it's you're sort of just embraced more or less for who you are, like, she certainly still has her preferences of the main character does of who she thinks is attractive and not attractive, mm-hmm. but and kind of win too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. I really went into this book, I feel like pretty blind. Like I didn't know before I started what it was about. <laughs> um, and it's pretty like intense world building at first. I feel like I read the first 50 pages like three times before yeah. I like kind of figured it out in my mind and then started to like move forward do you want to just like do a synopsis oh man you're gonna make me do it yeah all right (laughs) so feel free to interject at any time so the broken earth trilogy is set in a world that has multiple different seasons many different seasons And one of them is, like, a cataclysmic event that they call the fifth season. It's essentially where, like, all hell has broken loose and civilizations collapse. And then in the aftermath, they rebuild. Mm -hmm. And a city's reputation is sort of built by how many seasons that it survived. And so there's these pockets of civilization that have survived many seasons and these smaller ones that are often wiped out and replaced through Mm -hmm. multiple seasons. 
and there's origins which are people that have the ability to manipulate earth and sort of the surrounding landscape so they can do like volcanoes and they can adjust like they can mess with the tides and so they have like yeah it was a little beyond earth but generally pretty earth centric and they help keep this like unstable living environment that they are in stable uh there's like a personification of the earth that they call father earth and they basically describe it as he hates all life it's like not until like the towards the end of the book where they give like kind of like their origin mythology a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah he there's like different theories yeah he's mad and he wants to kill them Mm -hmm. and it's only because of the origins that they're able to survive and the origins are the people that are able to again manipulate the earth and they are hated by people and like distrusted and feared and feared and there's like a controlling government that tries to keep them in check and also train them in specific ways to use their powers mm-hmm. and the more powerful you get the more rings you get and that sort of symbolizes like how much control you have and tangent i think that the focus on control over raw power was a really interesting mm-hmm. choice because anybody can be theoretically powerful but what really separates and distinguishes members of their type or their order is that like your level of control like how well you can keep yourself like grounded mm-hmm. yes which is very like earthy mm-hmm. um yeah so their society is like structured into like a caste system mm-hmm. and the castes will have to do with like the kinds of jobs that you right do or are assigned yeah like i don't know what i say like good at so there's like laborers what they call strong backs strong backs there's leadership there's resistance mm-hmm. which are people who are supposedly like resistance to um like disease and and famine and stuff and so they they work with sick people and stuff like that what do they call like the engineering people aren't they like makers or crafters or something no, there's like, like a word that's made up well there's like there's an index in the back which i didn't know about until i finished the book um that kind of defines these things which in one way i'm like oh i wish i had this appendix where i could look up the words and oh, then an i was innovator. like innovator and then I was like, no, it's probably better that I had to, like, learn it myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they call them kind of mests is what they say sometimes. So mest is, like, someone who studied something and be like a scientist. But they, like, geomest or, I don't know, there's other ones. Mm-hmm. Yes. So at the very beginning of the book, we're just, like, thrown right in. And they're like, let's start at the end of the world. And... It's being narrated by, okay, well. Maybe a stone eater of some. Yeah, there's like a, I don't know, like an omniscient kind of third person beginning. And it starts with like someone causing this fifth season to start, this big earthquake kind of, I don't know, it's hard to describe. And then after that, it kind of splits and then there's three main narratives that you're following through the book. And one is in second person, and it takes place, that perspective, like, kind of in the, I guess what I would consider, like, the present of the story, mm-hmm. which is following that um, season beginning event. 
and the main character is like in her middle age. That character is in her middle age, and she um work lives in this small community, which is called a com, and has come home to find her two year old son like murdered by her husband, who's have found out that he was an origin and she is an origin, but she's been hiding it. Mm-hmm. And she's both of her children were, and she's also been hiding that. But he, he has been killed. And well, I guess that happens kind of concurrently with the event because like in her grief, she incidentally uses her powers to keep the event from affecting her community, at least at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, her husband who killed her child has taken their older child and like fled. And so after a few days of grief and, and kind of collecting herself, she uh, leaves the community to go find them. So that's one story you're following. Mm-hmm. The other story you're following is like a young girl who is an origin has been discovered by her family and her community and has been like kept in the barn while they wait for a guardian. Yeah. So someone from like the capital to come and get her. And it sounds like they don't really have a sense of what they're going to do with her, but it's like impressive enough that they don't just don't kill her right away. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, so a guardian comes and picks her up and a, the guardians have an ability to kind of like. Almost like suppress and yeah. cancel the power of the origins. Mm-hmm. And so they're like the powerful people in this situation and so he's taking her to the fulcrum which is like the training center for origins where they're taught control and given jobs or not mm-hmm. um and then the other perspective um the other perspective is a, is a woman who is young but she's an adult yeah like in her early 20s or, yeah that's the impression i got and she has four rings and it's possible to have 10 and she's paired up with this man named Alabaster who has 10 rings. And he's the only person still alive who has that. And so he's, like, going to essentially be her mentor as they try to move her up. But as she finds out, she's also being used to breed his children. Mm-hmm. And so they have this interesting relationship where they definitely do not like each other. But they're, like, forced to basically try to create this child. Mm-hmm. And they're also sent out on tasks to stabilize different areas that are being affected by father earth that are becoming unstable and they're mostly traveling to an area to destroy some coral that's sort of what they what they know getting Mm -hmm. into it but it becomes much more complex as they go yeah and he's probably like in his 40s or something yeah around 40 um so young for a 10 ringer Mm -hmm. but also like twice her age and he knows a lot more about the world than she does like, as you kind of get to know him as a character, you know that he, like, advanced really quickly in the fulcrum as he was training, like, way ahead of other people his age. And so he was sent out earlier. So he's, like, more has more experience than his age might suggest because of the level of skill that he has. Mm-hmm. And he is very, like, he's world-weary, for yes, sure. yeah. And he has a very kind of pessimistic out look on the state of the world especially in regards to how origins are treated mm-hmm. and there's a basically a slang and i believe it's called raga it, yeah it, it's like a derogatory term a lot of words in this book 
<laughs> that are, you know, like science fiction words. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, how do you say that? <laughs> yeah. Raga was my guess. And it, but yeah, it's essentially a it's a derogatory term used for mm-hmm. um used for their kind and and he uses it himself, which is like unheard of. Like mm-hmm. no, you wouldn't call yourself this. Yeah, he's reclaimed it. Mm-hmm. But in part of that is his like he doesn't want to use their euphemisms for the fact that they're essentially slaves right. to this society. Okay. So and then stuff happens. So this is the point where if you don't want to be spoiled on this book, you can like stop listening because now we're going to talk about spoilers. There is like there is a lot of spoilers, I guess. Like there's stuff that I saw coming pretty pretty far in advance that I still wouldn't necessarily like tell somebody ahead of time. Yeah. yeah it's like I feel like kind of a twist, but not really. I don't know. They're all the same person. Yes. So you find out. I mean, if you haven't figured it out already that these three uh, women at different stages of their life um, are actually all the same person, they are. I think that is something you can, like, read into it fairly early on. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you start the book and you know that these three perspectives are going to have some sort of connection. And then you also know that they're not happening on the same, like, timeline. I don't think she tries to, like hide that no but there is a reveal later that Mm -hmm. make you know it's like so it's obvious there's two other reveals that i found like one was not surprising to me and one was okay let's hear it okay so uh and they all have different names because she's like when she's captured as a child she has her name that her parents gave her and then when she earns her first ring they they get like a origin name which is usually taken from some kind of like rock or mineral mineral or, or something. Yeah. And then when she lives with this calm later in her life, she is like on the run basically. And so she's taken up this new identity and it's so sad what happens. I feel like I just kind of dreaded whatever I knew the review, like what would happen, the thing that would like have led her to the community that you start in was going to be something terrible and just just like dread of like finding out what that was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say that's like a twist or anything. So when she is a kid and she's being trained in the fulcrum, she's kind of like a loner. She has a lot of control. She's like a little bit, she's not as good as Alabaster, but she is like a little bit of, I think like a prodigy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Certainly the best in her yes. age class. Yeah. Like. And so she is like often alone and she explores this whole part of this building that's like abandoned. Yeah. And then uh, one night this girl her age like sneaks into the fulcrum and she's like leader class. And she's the only one who notices that she like doesn't belong there. And she convinces her to like take her into this place that she's been exploring because she's like looking for something and it's a secret. And in the present time, um, so the what are their names? Uh-huh. Uh, Cyanite is the middle age. That's uh-huh. her origin name. And Demaya is her and child like, name. Nessen, maybe Essen. 
just Essen. I mean, I mean Essen is her daughter. She's looking for. Yeah, so Essen is the middle-aged one. So she's traveling after this event. It's like ash falling from the sky, and she ends up traveling with two other people, and one is a person who um, is, I don't know, kind of like passing as being um, calmless, um, but actually it turns out has been like following her for a long time. <laughs> um, and it turns out that she's the, the girl from before, I did not see that. I coming. didn't see that coming at all. There's this part where she's like, "Oh, like where Essen is like putting it together," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> so that was the one thing I would say, like that really surprised me. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting. That's an interesting character. It would be interesting to like learn more about her and like later books. Um, it sounds like she knows a lot more about like the origins of the seasons mm-hmm. and the. Empire Guardians and the Guardians and all of that that's you know yet to be revealed in this book. And one thing we haven't even talked about yet, which is like a cornerstone of this book, is these like obelisks that exist in the sky, and they apparently have at one point or still do house these creatures they call the Stone Eaters. And really, all that's known about them is that they can meld through the earth at will, Mm -hmm. so they can just like pass through it with no like resistance at all and that their movements are very strange like they they don't move like a normal person because they're practically made of stone and they also eat stone yes hence the name yeah (laughs) and they also have this weird connection with like very powerful uh origins Mm -hmm. as you find out later with alabaster Mm -hmm. and but it's still unknown like what they have to do with anything like nothing is really revealed in the first book as far as like what they are or yeah anything or like why that. they're there right i have theories but um yeah so the they just kind of like are drifting through the sky but people are so unconcerned because these seasons come and they say oh fifth season sometimes is like a year or two and sometimes it's thousands of years kind of depending on how bad the cataclysmic event was that set it off um and they're always like volcanoes earthquake quicks tsunamis like geologic events Mm -hmm. i would say but it happens often enough that there are like remnants of dead civilizations like around and they think that the obelisks are just one of those things and like who even has time to worry about what it is because we're just trying to survive and like store enough stuff that our community can survive the mm-hmm. next fifth season. Right. Which just sounds like awful. Yeah, it does. So here's a couple of questions for okay. And then the final reveal is that it's Alabaster who's caused this season. Mm-hmm. Um with his power and like bitterness yeah hatred for the world yeah and he's like i'm gonna end it all and that's like contrasted a lot with um oh uh cyanide cyanide because she's she's you know she's not bitter yet she's she's like just kind of realizing throughout the book that the way that they're treated and the way that their society is structured is bad actually Mm -hmm. and is like, well, we should do something about it. And Alabaster, who's been at this a lot longer, mm-hmm. is like, there's nothing to be done about it. There's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. And there is a moment where 
they've built this life together on this island. Mm -hmm. And so this is after... So at, at this town that they were in where they were trying to clear the coral, Alabaster gets poisoned, which leaves him un unable to work on this. So Cyanite goes in his place. Mm -hmm. And as she's attempting to clear the coral, she accidentally lifts a broken obelisk out of the water. And in this process, she accidentally, like, triggers a chain of events that causes guardians to come after them to try to kill them. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, the guardians, she's not supposed to be able to, like feel the obelisk with her they call them sessing mm -hmm. that's how she can feel like the earth and and i guess energy too mm -hmm. of the stuff around them she's not supposed to be able to assess the obelisk right but she can and that's they notice that and that's where they come mm -hmm. and they're sort of hoping that maybe it'll be like oh you just sort of move the coral and that caused the obelisk mm -hmm. to awaken but very clearly they didn't think that yeah and she gets mad at them and says some stuff that makes it clear that she did that mm -hmm. so this guardian comes injures alabaster and she communes with this obelisk and is able to connect with it using her origin powers and they end up on this island out in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. So this is also something we don't really know anything about in this book, but like Alabaster, for some reason, has this connection to a stone eater who is like protecting him and um... also eating him. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird at the very end. You're like, why is what is going on? Is he becoming a stone eater? But then also be I don't know. It's weird. But she keeps like pulling him out of these like. Like, oh, he's going to die here. So she, like, pulls him through the earth and, like, pops him up on this island. And at that time, he takes – he's able or she takes her with him for some reason. Mm -hmm. Anyways, continue. Yeah, so then they end up on this island. And they make this life together where they have this other partner mm -hmm. who enters the picture. And he's, he's bi. And so he's interested in both Alabaster and Cyanite. And he's, like, the leader of the – island people and they're like raiders so they like pirate around on a ship and that's how they get all their stuff mm -hmm. and he's an origin as well just mm -hmm. not a particularly skilled one yeah they call him feral because he was not trained at the fulcrum mm -hmm. and which means that he doesn't have very good control but he's also not very powerful in general mm -hmm. um, as a result of them trying to have a child cyanide has a kid and as a polyamorous relationship they raise this child together yeah. It's just kind of like a sad interlude. It's kind of like the story is like, and, the, you know, she finds out that she's pregnant. And then there's like this little interlude that's like. Two years later. Yeah. But it's like she has a period of happiness or peace. But that book isn't about that. Mm -hmm. Two years later. <laughs> yeah. So you and you know, because of at this point, you've connected that they're all. Yeah. The same character. And you've been reading about Essen, who is, you know, she's in her 40s and she has these other kids. So, you know, that. This couldn't last. Right. Like, you know it's going to – just how is it going to go down? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just awful. Like, I feel like – so she decides to go out because she's bored. And she wants to go out on a raid on the ship with them. He, like, lets her come kind of reluctantly because she says, oh, I can use my powers um, to help. Like, I can make fogs come up and then you can raid boats easier. And so he finally – he's like, okay – but it seems like he's mostly saying okay, not because he really thinks it's a good idea, but because he loves her and, like, you know, feels bad. And it ends up being, like, not a good idea. Yeah. Everything that happens after that is, like, a little bit 
a result of her, I'm going to say like almost like pride. Yeah, and restlessness. Yes. And so like she goes on a ship and she like causes a fog just like they planned. And they're like raiding this boat. And then like another boat is coming and it's going to like ram them. And so she pulls up some earth to like stop it. But like makes it so it's obvious that like a skilled origin was like the only one who could have done that. Mm -hmm. And so they have to like sink both of the boats. Yeah, no surviving witnesses. To make so that no one knows. And then she's like, please take me to this town I accidentally ruined so I can see how terrible it is. Bad idea. And he does it anyways. And then she decides she's going to like seal it all up. And they're found out basically. Yeah, they're able... I get the impression that they just like left someone there to like mm-hmm. track them just in case they came back knowing that they would try to fix it because one of the things about Alabaster's character mm-hmm. is that he's established as someone who wants to help and he has been like quelling all of these like earthquakes all around before they really happen and everywhere he goes he just fixes whatever is going wrong. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of was like an inevitable situation where they were going to fix this problem that they created. Yeah. And it was all because of that that they were discovered. Yes. And it's just real sad what happens. Yeah. So Shafa, who is Sinite's guardian when she was a child, mm-hmm. um, he shows up to the island. They man- they fight as valiantly as they can, but they are ultimately overwhelmed. Alabaster is consumed into the earth. By the stone eater. By the stone eater. And he goes missing. And meanwhile, Cyanite goes on the boat to try to, like, fend off her guardian. And it, in the process, Inon is killed, yeah. like, right in front of her. And, and they have this power where they can, like, touch this part of their brain that creates the origin powers. And it turns it in on themselves. So he basically becomes, like, a paste. Yeah. Of, like, as oh, his powers explode. And so early, earlier on in the book, when... Sinite and Alabaster are first traveling. He, um, they like sense a thing happening and they end up going to a node. And she has like no idea what the nodes are for um, until, well, I mean, she knows what they're for, but she doesn't know what they actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, is basically, she has been told that they send like really weak, really weak, yeah, um, origins who couldn't like make the training in the fulcrum out to these nodes and they just hang out there and like quell small earthquakes and stuff forever forever all they do yeah and she's like what a boring job and he's like you don't even know anything (laughs) because when they go there they find she finds out that what they actually do is essentially like lobotomize the origin which are children um that they couldn't control basically and hook them up so that they're just like pure instinct quelling shakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just running on like machines and feeding tubes and stuff. And when they get there, this origin has like caused kind of like an instinctual earthquake because he was being like abused and is very recognizable as one of like Alabaster's children. And mm-hmm. he'd been made to breed and has, I don't know, they, they mentioned like maybe 10 children that he knows of but they're just they're just used as breeders they don't get actually like raise their children in this thing anyways so at 
this when they're having this fight on this island and as he's being like sucked into the ground by the stone eater who won't let him stay and fight um he's like don't let this happen to our child you know what will happen to him this is what they'll do to him and so she's like desperate at the end she's got like the kid in one hand and all these people like descending on her and very soon won't be able to like use her her powers at all so she smothers him Mm -hmm. at the same time she draws on the power of the obelisk and like blows everything up and she's one of the few survivors Survivors. yeah and there comes a time where she meets alabaster again at the end Mm -hmm. of the book where it's very clear that by don't let them capture him he didn't mean kill our kid it was like just Are a you bi- sure? I don't know because he says I'll never forgive you for that, and it's yeah. like, and I don't know. Maybe that's just him not being able to separate it, and that's his own yes. baggage. But I can see both those things. How he could have like known it, like that that might be something that she would have to do if you go giving these two options. And in the moment, she's thinking back to like things like. He had said to her, like, it would be better to be dead than to be like this. But also... But also not forgive her for actually having to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about this, too. Maybe it was also because she's the one who causes them to get caught in the first place. Because he is trying to convince her to just stay on the island and enjoy having a happy life. Uh Like, away from all the society that they've been abused by. Mm -hmm. And But she's so restless and just wants some excitement in her life that and i think also she's driven by like she wants like he's already had his like time of trying to help people and now he's over it Mm -hmm. but she hasn't had that she still thinks that there's something she can do to help somehow right but she can't she's just ruined everything but there's two more books so maybe things will change for the better (laughs) Uh, yeah now i have to read them because i know like ugh. So this book ends, like, on a cliffhanger. They meet up again. He's dying. They describe how he's, like, missing his arm, but it's, like, partially turned to stone and has, like, bite marks in it or something. And it's, like, gross. (laughs) it's gross. And then, like, he has, like, teeth. Like, the teeth that he has are, like, turning into stone. Mm -hmm. Also, the stone eaters are, like, see-through, but they, they, like, can manipulate how they look. I don't know. And one of the people who travels with Essen is turn- is revealed to be a stone eater. I did see that coming. Y- yes. Yeah. I don't know why she didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is because the, all the stone eaters she's seen up to that point don't move like him. Because mm, he's like described adults. as being very organic uh-huh. in his movements. And I don't know why. I think it has something to do with the stones that he was eating. Mm. I didn't pick that up. That's interesting. Because he always has, like, that little bundle, and she's like, what is in it? And then he he shows it to her. I don't know. That was my... That's your guess. Yes. That'd be interesting. Sort of like you get different powers based on what you eat. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that's why that one stone eater is eating alabaster. Or maybe it's age, and he's just... He's young (laughs) enough to where he hasn't, like, solidified. Yeah. Because it's also said, like, they... (laughs) When they talk to them, they're like, "You want to, you want to answer my question." You, you're like, probably, oh, at the very beginning, um, the person we know is Alabaster. Now is talking to like the Stone Eater, and um, they say something about 
about like the beginning of the world. And he's like, oh, you were probably there. Um, so yeah, you don't know how long that they've been around or, or anything. So the thing that child. Hola. No, not that child. When she's a child, the fulcrum. Oh, Demaya. Demaya, the thing that Demaya and the other person. The other person. Her. <laughs> what was her name? It was like was... at the end, her name is like something kind of silly. When they're adults, her name is Tonky. Right. Tonky. Tonky. So when they're kids and they go into the main building in the center of the fulcrum and they're able to like finally get into the center because it's like a hexagon and they can't find the door because it's secret but then she's able to use her origin powers to like sense where the door is and they get in there and there's like a big pit and the pit has little um like facets in it with little wires sticking out and they're just kind of trying to figure out what it is and then the guardians come and find them and one turns weird and tries to killer maybe but then her garden comes and then he does this whole like manipulative thing that like i'm the only one who loves you and tomorrow you have to take your ring test or you'll die but it's you only kind of start at the very end of the book to learn what that whole deal was about and it sounds like that's where they made the obelisks is that right i i that was the interpretation i got okay there's definitely some sort of connection to the stone eaters mm-hmm. and the fulcrum and like the guardians are using it to like make guardians like because there's some sort of implant that they put yeah. into the guardians that allows them to resist and nullify the power of the origins and the guardians themselves have multiple different like classifications within themselves so they're all tasked at doing different things some are more like they you know they take in these children and they try to like make them fit for the fulcrum some are teachers and then some are like specifically just meant to be like killers like they hunt down powerful origin and counter their powers and there's not really anything you can do they're like they're the system that keeps the origins in check Mm -hmm. which from a world building perspective is again it's it's a really interesting choice um i think because it keeps it from the magic from getting like absurd like where yeah. anyone with magic is just infinitely powerful and can command anything. Mm-hmm. There's like always a counter system to them. Yeah. And that's true when they're using their powers too. It's like they have to have, they have to take the energy to do whatever they're doing from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And like the best thing that they can do is take it from the, I don't know, geo... Like the heat of the earth. Yeah, from the earth itself or the movement of the earth itself and use it. But they can also take it from like things living around them, plants and other people. They can kill people by doing that. And that that's kind of like what makes them so dangerous is mm-hmm. like if they don't have control, they can kill people accidentally by just like accidentally like causing some sort of disaster or just like using their energy. Mm-hmm. Which she calls like kind of like freezing them, and I think it actually also literally like freezes them. Yes, because like from my understanding, she's they're pulling like part of it is they're pulling the heat and energy, uh-huh. and so they're essentially just sucking out all of the heat and energy out of your body that 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 flash freezes you. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? So at the very end, she's talking to Alabaster, and she's like, "Well, we can fix whatever you did to the Earth," and he's like, "I don't want to. This place sucks." 
And she's like, we deserve what's happened. And then he says, tell me, have you ever heard of something called a moon? And that's just how the book ends Mm -hmm. in the middle of their conversation. What do you think is going to happen in the next time? Oh, man. (laughs) Shit's going to go down. Um, I think that Alabaster is going to become a villain. I mean, he kind of already has. Like, he, he's he's been consumed by his grief. And so you don't think he's just going to die? I don't think – I don't. I think that would be too easy. Mm. I think that – and it's going to be a decision that haunts Essen because I think that from a from a storytelling perspective, I think that's interesting. Like, it, it would be a really difficult on that her character at this point because she loves him in her mm. own way. Like, they love each other. Yeah. So. Yeah, their relationship evolves to be – it's just like a family relationship. They're pretty much the only, even in, throughout the book, they're like kind of like the only person that the person has, even when they like hate each other. Mm-hmm. And then, then later they become like part of the same family unit. And then all of the other people in that family unit, they die. Um, it is very sad. Do you think, I was like, is he turning into a stone eater? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. And, like, maybe the bites are, like, he's eating himself. Yeah, that would make sense. And I keep thinking, too, about... And do you think the Stone Eaters are, like, aliens? Or do you Mm. think that they've, like, created themselves somehow? I think they're, like, a... What do you call that? Precursor Mm. species. Like, I think that they existed before humans. And maybe they had their chance and they failed. And so they're sort of trying to act to, like, shepherd this society in a way to like keep it from completely collapsing but i don't know it's so like it feels like the world is so alive and like deep and the lore is so so interesting Mm -hmm. but there's only so much that's revealed in the first book and there's so many questions left and i just i just don't know where it's going yeah they talk a lot about stone lore which is like the stories they have that talk about like how to survive uh the season so there's like rules but like anything, what they know is like incomplete mm-hmm. um, and, you know, possibly like changed on purpose, altered, manipulated, yeah. altered. Yeah. So I guess my other question is like, <laughs> do you think they're on Earth? I think so. I think so, too. Oh, another thing that she learns in the book is that she and Alabaster can like connect and combine their powers and work like side by side right which she had been taught at the fulcrum was impossible that the stronger origin would always like overpower the weaker one and then the weaker one would die and so when he does it to her it's just like blows her mind but not literally because you know (laughs) anyways he says in the very end about how like the origins are the ones that like caused the fifth season. So I'm thinking like that they used to all work together. And he talks about the moon, like maybe they pulled the moon down to earth. Hmm. And the the effect of that hitting the earth is what caused the first season and mm-hmm. killed everything and possibly created like just one continent and that somehow enough people survived. Yeah, and I, then it messed with all like their gravity and stuff, and I think that maybe that's why they created the obelisks. Try to have some sort of like hmm. gravity thing. 
Were they invaded and the Stone Eaters are like invading aliens that have just taken up residence and have been chilling out for the last while? <laughs> At the very beginning, that's what I thought because it was like, well, you're not paying attention. This thing hatches and the Stone Eater comes out. But it never goes back to that. Mm-hmm. Read to find out. Yeah. Read to find out. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I don't know. Besides, the, you said the villain thing. Yeah, I think I think Alabaster is going to become some sort of villain. I think we're going to be introduced to at least one or two more origins that are going to enter the story and have some sort of impact mm-hmm. on it. And I think she's probably going to have to travel and find out like the history of like what's going on with like how guardians are created because I think I think ultimately the main thing that's going to keep her from doing what she wants is these guardians that are can counter her. So I think she needs to figure out how the guardians are made and how she can bypass that or like take her origin to the next level. Mm-hmm. And connecting with the obelisk seems to be connected to that, like of her advancing to the next stage. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like i think dismantling the society or maybe breaking it maybe the, maybe how it all ends is she just burns it all break break the wheel yeah <laughs> i don't know what do you think's going to happen i don't i really don't know i don't really have like a good prediction i think i i was thinking that she's like and i feel like the story is kind of like going that way to find out that like the things that she believes were all i don't know like father earth or whatever were like done purposefully mm-hmm. so like social engineering of like creating these yeah this lore to uh-huh. like keep people bound and uh-huh. controlled yeah. yeah i don't know who's like the like ultimately in charge and i guess she doesn't either um, I suppose it could be like stone eaters who are ultimately in charge, but they're also like not all on the same side. So like in the last section when she and her, when Essen and her like traveling buddies come to this community, um, but they find that's like underground that's like led by origins. There are other stone eaters there and Hoa, who's like the little, I don't know that he's actually a child, but she thinks that he's a child. Yeah. The stone eater that's been traveling with her, like they hit, they're like cats meeting, strange cats, and they're like hiss at each other and they don't like each other. So like I don't think they, I think they're they have like cross purposes for some reason. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like Tonky knows more about all of this than she's let on. Definitely. Because she's from the leader cast, and so she's had access to information Mm -hmm. that, you know, others wouldn't have the privilege to access. And she was sort of dismissed and removed from her family. Um, And so she then became, like, a university student. Uh And so she's been studying all this stuff, you know, for a lot, for a while, basically for the last, you know, 30 years. So she's, like, a well of information. She just hasn't divulged divulged it. it, yeah. Yeah. And she also seems like she's working on some sort of bigger mission or something. I mean, it took me a while to get into the book because it's pretty, like, world-dense at the beginning. But I feel like once everybody's on the road, and it's definitely like a we're-on-the-road book, traveling and figuring stuff out, even though there's parts where they're not doing that. But once that kind of, like, kicked in, I felt like it went pretty 
quick. Like I kept, you know, wanting to figure out what was going to happen, mm-hmm. even when I dreaded it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I I struggled a little bit with the second person. I'm I'm not a huge fan of that personally. Mm-hmm. So those essence chapters, even though I was interested in what was happening to her and I wanted to know where her story went, it was definitely the chapters I looked forward to the least because I just didn't. I don't enjoy second person. Yeah. What sections did you like the most? Oh, probably cyanide. I mean. Yeah, me too. I kept being like, let's just go back to what she's doing. I really enjoyed the dynamic between her and Alabaster. I just enjoyed like this idea that she's learning more about the And I felt like the most happened when she was. Oh, for her sure. chapters. Like you, you were learning more about the world of like how it actually is. And it was all going to lead to something big at some point. Mm-hmm. And then Demaya, it feels like you're just getting a little bit of, like, background and history for... Yeah, there is a bit, like, about learning about the, I don't know, the capital or whatever that they're at. Yeah, about Uh, the fulcrum. mm -hmm. But then it's not until um, Binoff, which is Tonka. Right, yeah. um, It's not until she's revealed that you sort of understand why it's been important. Yeah. Because it's that big reveal of, like, there's this underground complex where like of mysterious origin and for some reason they don't want cyanide or um demaya to know what it is yeah and we don't really get to know what it is either yeah how did you do with the second person i did okay i feel like most of the time i just forgot that it was happening it's i feel like the more that the book goes on and the more that it's talking about like what other people are doing the less like I notice it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Who who do you think is like the narrator when it is in second person? I kind of got the impression that it was Alabaster or a Stone Eater, mm-hmm. one of the two. But it could be someone else. Could be the Earth itself. Yeah, Father Earth. Because it's never like it always says talks about Alabaster in third person. It never goes first person. Maybe it's her guardian. Yeah. I had wondered that, too. Shafa? Mm -hmm. Because you don't really find out if he died or not. You just know that the ship exploded and he was on it. But it doesn't... He's not confirmed dead. There's no body. You know, (laughs) the classic trope. Right. But then also, I guess you're thinking, like... Or they want you to think that if he had survived it, he would have found her. Continue to hunt her down, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, the Guardians have this ability where they can touch the back of your neck which is where this like gland is it's called a sesaphine and they seemed like if they touch it then they can sort of follow you around wherever you go they always know where you are yeah but if you get exposed to this guardian ability that allows them to nullify your um your origin powers then it resets that and so you are no longer able to be tracked in that way Mm. um alabaster kind of explains that that's why they're not tracked to the island after they got attacked by that guardian Right, right. So she wasn't touched again. And so if if Shafa is still going after her, he doesn't know exactly where she's at. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, hiding more carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she's not using her powers at all. Except for, you know, when she destroyed her Well, I mean, town. right. Until her child is killed. Well, and the, the town tries to shoot her with a crossbow as she's leaving. Yeah. But that happened after her child was killed. Yeah. Yeah. She lost it. Yeah. And then you realize just how much worse it is because she's reliving 
mm-hmm. this experience of how she lost her first child. I know. Ugh. It's a it's a pretty intense book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to try to get my friends to read it so we can talk about it. It definitely feels like one that I'm glad I'm glad for this episode that we read the same book. Yes. Because sure. it would definitely be hard to talk about it with someone who's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm just going to throw all these words around and you're not going to know what any of them mean. Yeah. And it's also one that you like want to talk about. Like, I don't know, the kind of book in a series where you're like, what is going to happen next? What do these things mean? Where you get to like speculate about, you know, all of the different characters and parts of the world that like aren't explained yet. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a delicate balance, too, when you're doing world building and writing is like you want to reveal enough to where the audience knows what's happening, Mm -hmm. but that you leave something to the imagination and that they want to discover more. And there's that. And I think that she struck that balance quite well. Like Mm -hmm. I I felt like I was learning more and more as I went and it felt like it was an organic delivery. I, I didn't feel like I was info dumped. Yeah. Or, or anything. Like, it was just a wall of exposition. Uh-huh. So, in that way, I was re- I really enjoyed how the book was written. I think she just did a really good job. Yeah. I can see why it won a Hugo Award. Yeah. Do you <clears throat> see any kind of, like, so often, like, science fiction, or this was a, I saw somewhere that they described it as science fantasy. Yeah, sci-fantasy. <laughs> um is often making like a commentary on the real world. Hmm. Do you read any, see any there just through the first book? I definitely see the, if you're talented or you possess something outside of the ordinary, that it will be exploited or anything that makes you different needs to be controlled. I definitely get that kind of vibe of like the origins are different and they're feared because they're different mm-hmm. and but they are capable and you know they're competent people and but they're, they're feared by the society and they that tries to control them and tries to to blame everything on them yeah and there's a bit of like they find this i don't know almost like a utopia to them where the origins like are in control mm-hmm. yeah the island yeah is part of it yeah I also thought there's like a lot there and that it might um, be expanded upon in the other books around kind of like climate change mm-hmm. and like our responsibility to the earth that we live on and how much we can or can't control it and who's like ultimately responsible for that. Yeah. I finished it last night and I was like, well, I guess I have to read the next one. Yeah. <laughs> So here we're at almost the end of the year. We do have one more author to talk about before the challenge wraps up in January. Um, So Jacob will be back, right? Yes. And I've actually already read one of her books. Ta-da! And then I think Austin is joining us as well. And we're going to be talking about the work of Kekla Magoon. So... She has a new YA book that came out earlier this year that I was interested in reading. And then I was like, maybe I'll read one of her middle grade books, too. And then maybe I'll kind of, like, reread her Panther book. And I obviously won't be able to do all of those things. (laughs) But I'm excited. The Black Panther book was called Resist? No. No. It's called Revolution in Our Time. Revolution in Our Time. Okay. 
the Black Panther Party's promise to the people. Um, she also wrote, here's some short things that you can write. She wrote this picture book biography about Third Grade Marshall that we have. It's called The Highest Tribute. Um, and then she has like short stories and stuff in some different collections. Um, I have read her book, The Rock and the River, which is good. And there was like one that, like a companion book called Fire in the Streets that I never read. Uh, I'm just looking. I'm like, oh, I like that one. I like that one. But her um, her new middle grade one, or kind of newer middle grade one. It's Chester Keene cracks the code um no i was looking at the season of sticks malone ah i don't know that one that you were talking about oh no she that is her newest one you're right aha i'm sorry she should get it together and update her website Because I was actually, I was like, um, how come her other YA book isn't on there? Because mm-hmm. um, her new one is like. I also wanted to talk a little it's bit. It's called the Minus One Club is the one that came out earlier this year. That oh, I was okay. I wanted to talk a little bit about how long till Black Future Month. Yes, please. So I didn't read much of it. Um, I got started and then I was like, well, this book is like 400 pages and I still need to read the fifth season. I, there's no way I can get through it. But I read through a couple of short stories and her introduction. And her introduction's pretty interesting. She talks about, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. um, about her experiences trying to break into science fiction as um, a black woman and wanting to write about something other than, like, Eurocentric science fiction. So uh, she talks about her experiences doing that and the limited publishing opportunities that she had. And then she also writes about her experience with this professor who encourages her to get into short stories. And she used short stories often as like the beginnings of things that later became full length novels. And she said she learned a lot from it and how like she learned to write like tight characters. Like, you know, you have to develop a character in a very short period of time to get the the reader attached to them. Mm -hmm. And you're, story has to be very succinct and you have to be very careful about your word choice and all that so she used her experience writing short stories later and she said it ended up being a great experience for her on and that helped her develop all of her later works and one of the short stories that she writes became the city we became and it's about a queer black man who is like a graffiti artist and he sort of has this like spiritual connection with the city of Manhattan or like Manhattan area mm-hmm. and so he becomes like a personification of the city itself and he like is fighting back against this like invading force that seems almost like Lovecraftian okay and so like he he embodies this aspect of the city and he basically turns into this like fighting force and is like duking it out as the city it's very it's very interesting like huh. it's hard to describe but it reading that got me interested in wanting to read yeah it for sure there's another one where there's a woman who's has this magical ability and her daughter has it too and she also has two sons and this white lady comes in and she's like i want to buy your daughter essentially Mm -hmm. and daughter because she has these visions of what the future is going to look like decides to give herself up um in exchange for like saving the rest of her family but then the mom sacrifices herself and it's interesting because they're they're talking about like looking into the future and if the 
if the daughter is allowed to survive, then it leads to these events for like the civil rights movement. It leads to um, a black man being in the White House and different things like that. So it's like they sort of like see this future, but they know the sacrifice that they have to do in order to get Whoa. there. And yeah, and, and like, and there's like a, a moment where like the the mom is envisioning the future if she survives and it's like a, the movement fails or like mm. she doesn't she doesn't have the same strength that her daughter has like she's tired she's been dealing with this stuff for so long she just doesn't have the energy like, i need like someone stronger than me and someone yeah. more youthful to take this movement on and so she gives herself up it was it was a very it was a very engaging story yeah that's interesting yeah it made me think a little bit of the fifth season mm-hmm and then the final one I read is sort of like a tour of a utopian society or near utopian where it's like a tour, it's a tour guide and the, the character is kind of describing like all the different things. And they're sort of like mocking you for like being critical of it. So it's like, oh, what? You can't imagine that the society looks like this. Well, that's just your limitations. Uh-huh. Like what? You can't imagine a society without violence. I think that's your problem. You know, that's your baggage. <laughs> I liked it. And then in the end, they're like, okay, I guess there's a little violence because, like, there's always going to be people who are doing terrible things. But did you read them? Like, did you just pick a few throughout the book or did you read, like, the first few? First three. Okay. Yeah. I probably would have read more if I wasn't also reading for the Sasquatch. But Right. How's that going? It's good. Yeah. Um, I'm reading three books a week. Mm-hmm. And so chugging along, I try to mix in one shorter work or like novel and verse or like a graphic novel so i get like a little treat yeah you know something nice, <laughs> nice and short but yeah there's been a lot of good books this year i'm i'm excited to see what we decide on for the final 12 or so yeah i need to start reading three books a week i've read one so far this week um but i have like a stack of stuff i need to review and then um start after 30 books not quite 30 because I have read some of them already um, for the next Evergreen uh, round, which is in March. So It's going to come along quick. I know. I was like, I was working on, like, like I have um, like a reading planner uh, from a few years ago that I got an owl crate that I didn't use. And so I got it out because it's like, un, you know. Yeah, it's not like, the, <laughs> it's not going to be incorrect with the dates. Right. Like it's you undated. It that's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's not very much time. Yeah, so. Um, well, good luck to you. Thanks, and also to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, we'll be back in just a little bit. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Your Shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Jacob. Bye. Bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the Friends of the Longview Public Library the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery.